This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello to you all. Welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I started self-work about four years ago to try to reach three groups, really, sort of extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very, very interested in psychological or emotional issues, maybe you're even in therapy yourself, to those of you who've been diagnosed with depression or anxiety or something and you're looking for answers, maybe you have a relationship problem you're really getting stuck on but also to a third group of you, those folks that would say, I'd never darken the door of a therapist, and yet here you are just curious enough to listen to self-work. I'm glad all of you are here. And as someone said to me several months ago now, you need to add a fourth group, people that can't afford therapy. So (laughs) self-work isn't therapy. I need to say that very quickly and clearly, but it might give you a way to understand what therapy would be like. So glad you're here. You know, pandemic fatigue is being shouted from the rooftops by many after this round of holidays held little, if any, release from the sacrifices we are all making. But pandemic fatigue can easily morph into pandemic burnout, meaning that whatever skills you've been using to dig a little deeper or find some laughter or hope, those skills are maxed out. I've heard statistics reflecting just how many adults are experiencing levels of depression or anxiety never before experienced. Some research says one out of three adults, other reports say half. Certainly, let's not pretend that we are all up against the same odds. As I heard an analogy the other day, we may all be floating in the same ocean, but some boats are very well equipped, while others are barely managing to stay afloat. Whether that's due to job loss, race or ethnic issues, death of a loved one, political unrest, region or neighborhood isolation, or the opposite, overcrowding, poverty or hunger, some burdens are much heavier to manage and try to live through. Here on Self Work, we focus on mental and emotional health. And obviously, if you're considering whether or not you can feed your children, you don't have much time for talk about emotional survival or even thriving. But today, I want to focus on some of the damage that might have occurred during the last year in your primary relationship, what I'm calling your pandemic partner. With distraction and going and doing hugely curtailed, with time with the kids expanding to almost all day for many or not seeing family for months, what's happening in your marriage or partnership? And as always, what can you do about it? I'm going to point out four things you might consider before deciding you've made some sort of terrible partner mistake and you wish that very partner would disappear in a cloud of dust or at least go on a very long vacation or or wait a minute, you should go on that vacation and then leave them with the kids, right? The listener email is from a mom who's confused about her children saying she's coming across as needy when she feels all she's doing is letting them know she's thinking of them and praying for them. So I'll answer her as best I can, and you can decide what you think as well. So in this episode, sponsored once again by BetterHelp, sit back, relax, do your chores, drive, whatever you do while you're listening to self-work. And let's talk about not only pandemic fatigue and burnout, but how it's affecting your relationship.
The terms pandemic fatigue and now pandemic burnout are getting tossed around as we try to describe the tangled web of emotions that we are all experiencing during something that only infectious disease doctors knew could happen, dreaded would happen, and now has happened. Let's talk for a minute about what these terms mean. First, pandemic fatigue. I thought an article in Everyday Health put it very well. They're quoting a Dr. Paul Nestat, who's assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. When we thought this health crisis might last just a few months, we psyched ourselves up to cope with it. Now that we understand there's no definitive end, that is causing widespread pandemic fatigue. And he says what he's referring to is the exhaustion you may be feeling after months of spending extra time and energy dealing with your new pandemic lifestyle and all the struggles it's brought on. So pandemic fatigue is describing a stress reaction brought on by all the changing, all the transition, all the losses. But what is pandemic burnout? How is it different? I thought this was fairly ironic when I looked up the literature The Berkeley researcher, who's actually known for her work on burnout, Christina Maslach, says she's now burned out herself from the onslaught of emails she's getting to try to explain the term burnout. This article in New Scientist quotes her, Thankfully, five decades of research means we have a fairly good idea of what burnout is and what causes it. According to Maslach's burnout inventory and assessment tools she co-developed, burnout arises when three factors coincide, and these are important. An overwhelming feeling of emotional exhaustion, feelings of cynicism and detachment, and a feeling of lack of accomplishment. We're going to come back to these three things and see how they might be affecting your relationship with your pandemic partner, that person who you're spending so much of your time with these days, who are in your pod. For those experiencing burnout, these criteria might manifest in feelings like being exhausted even after plenty of sleep, being emotionally distant from loved ones, or no longer caring about jobs that need doing. For myself and my own patients, I've likened what we're going through to being in a tunnel where you can't see where you entered anymore, and you can at times glimpse or think you can glimpse the light at the end of that tunnel only to discover there's another curve and you lose sight of any light at all while you're at the same time trying to keep a job, keep a house running, help everyone you love deal with their own emotional blowouts about what's not happening the way it always was or the way it should be, and then try not to be that kind of person that says it could always be worse or reminds everyone that Shakespeare wrote King Lear during a pandemic quarantine. A fact, I did not know. Of course, good for Shakespeare, but we're not all Shakespeare's. Whether you yourself are grieving someone whose life ended due to COVID or your kid didn't get to graduate or have their wedding, there's plenty of loss going around as we scramble to try and manage anxiety, fear, and sadness. As I've stressed in other episodes, I'm not speaking to those of you who might be in abusive relationships where you're being controlled or manipulated or physically and mentally abused. I know that these months have been more difficult. In fact, calls to violence hotlines instead of the predicted rising has actually decreased by half early in the pandemic. Why? Because it wasn't safe to reach out is the going theory. Too closely confined to have the freedom to call, losing a job. In fact, women's jobs have been lost by substantially more than men. And that job offered the promise of financial independence, and now that's lost. Losing a safe place for kids to be while you're at work. All of those things have been a factor. 
Other articles are now stating that the calls are once again on the rise. So please do seek support if you're in this kind of relationship. The dangers are real. But let's remember the three factors in pandemic burnout. An overwhelming feeling of emotional exhaustion, number one. Feelings of cynicism and detachment, number two. And a feeling of lack of accomplishment, number three. Before we go on to talk about these, here's a message from BetterHelp to you with a great offer that's coming at a very timely moment. BetterHelp has now been a sponsor of SelfWork for a few months, and I've been hearing how pleased you are with their services. I couldn't be more excited about that, as by now you know I'm a huge believer myself in the power of therapy. What is BetterHelp? It's an online therapy service that has earned the number one ranking for the quality of their service to their consumers. When you contact them, you are offered several different licensed professional therapists to choose from, all that have been vetted by BetterHelp. You can have sessions via video, text, or phone. And I found, because of course I checked it out before recommending it to you, that each therapist was very available, literally a text away, and made some of the same therapeutic suggestions to me that I'd offer myself as a therapist. Here's an excerpt from a listener who wrote in, I'm a 23-year-old living in Brazil. I'm only writing this message in order to express my gratitude towards you and your podcast. Having anxiety disorder, I always felt like I needed therapy, but I was too anxious to start it. With self-work, not only I've learned some valuable insights about dealing with my condition, but also the basics of how therapy sessions work, which allowed me to finally get some courage to start it. With the coronavirus pandemic, I'd also been concerned about attending personal sessions, but then I learned about better help in your podcast, and it sounded just perfect for what I needed. I've been getting online counseling from BetterHelp for six weeks now, and I feel like it's been helping me a lot. That's just so wonderful to hear. And now, BetterHelp has a special offer for you. 10% off the first month of sessions if you use this link. Trybetterhelp.com slash selfwork. That's trybetterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash selfwork. I'm never more honored than hearing someone sought therapy after listening to selfwork. And if selfwork is helping you, Maybe BetterHelp is your next step. So we're going to talk about four ways your relationship with your pandemic partner could be affected by pandemic burnout and what you should actually consider before you think about ending a relationship or making some kind of really life-altering choice about your pandemic partner. The first one is realize the problem could be you. This is actually tied in very highly with emotional exhaustion. You may not want to believe that you've become clinically depressed, but it could certainly be. All of us have our emotional breaking point. So if you're feeling detached from your pandemic partner, if you're too exhausted to care, then maybe you need to consider whether or not you've grown clinically depressed. If everything has lost its vibrancy, whether you're in a more melancholic depression where you don't want to get out of bed or a more agitated depression where everything makes you angry. And your partner could be one of those things that make you angry. You could be deciding you don't want to do the relationship any longer. It's too hard to try to get along. It takes too much energy to care for anything more than what is absolutely required of you. So the answer here is to list how you are changing. What effect has the pandemic had on you or how you see your life? And if you see that quite apart from your partner, the lights have slowly 
dimmed in your world and you're finding it harder and harder to see, then it's time to talk to a therapist, get more exercise, or perhaps even a medication evaluation would be helpful. You may simply be too tapped out and some self-care and self-awareness is needed. The second factor or consideration is to be aware of how others are affecting you. I had a male patient one time who walked in my office and said, I can't find one trustworthy woman who doesn't want me for what I can do for her. It was interesting he chose a female therapist, I thought. It certainly was true that he had been hurt and badly by a first wife who seemed particularly manipulative. But when I asked more questions, he revealed he mostly hung out with guys who talked about women very critically. And he tended to date women who were very needy. So he was setting up the scenario he already believed, that you can't trust a woman. So who are you listening to? Where are you getting your support? If the people you talk with are grousing about their own relationships, it can have a tremendous effect on you. If these are the people you're hanging out with, spending your precious time with, your partner's light is just not going to keep shining, and you're going to start picking them apart. You're affected by who you listen to, and what you listen to. In fact, I'm thinking of a patient right now whose marriage had been rocky for quite some time. Her partner did have a problem with anger, certainly, and she was an anxious perfectionist. They had quarreled for years about who was at fault for their problems. And then the pandemic hit, and they were both home with their children, one of whom is special needs. When both of them started to work from home, she told me, she was my patient, she told me that all of a sudden she realized just how hard his job is, how much time he had to spend energetically engaging with others, and it was all day long. She heard him talking and talking and talking. No wonder he'd been talked out when he'd been coming home pre-pandemic. And she also said that she had no idea that hearing about numerous relationship problems from her own co-workers, had influenced her to feel he was always at fault. On his part, he was right there at home seeing how much of her energy she spent on the kids. So their marriage and sense of appreciation for one another has actually greatly improved during the pandemic. They were seeing each other through different eyes and not through the eyes of other people who might have been fueling the fire of their disappointment. And speaking of disappointment, that's the third consideration. To remember that disappointments happen in all long-term relationships. I'll talk about my own relationship as an example. You know, I partly fell in love with my husband because his life was very stable. He'd made good, solid decisions. I knew I could count on him. Six years later, I was kind of screaming on the inside, do you ever do anything without going over it a hundred times? He would probably say I didn't keep that to myself very much. But the opposite was also true. He'd fallen in love with me for my spontaneity and intense emotional life. Married? All of a sudden, he feared that I was going to tell somebody off or impulsively spend too much money. Neither of our fears were correct. It's just that you don't get one of those traits without getting the other one. It's like a rock where you can see the top. But when you pick it up, there's a whole other side that you couldn't see, the the mossy kind of icky underbelly of the rock. So you get the whole rock. I got the stability and the good decisions, 
but he's also very careful and takes his time to make those decisions. He got the emotional richness, and then sometimes he'll hear me be a little too emotionally intense for his taste. I wasn't going to get stable without someone who took that very time. He wasn't going to get rich emotions without hearing them vehemently expressed from time to time. So to stay in love, you have to focus on the part you did fall in love with. Enjoy it. Relish that aspect of the relationship. And when you run into that part that you don't love so much, realize that you chose the whole package. But all of this right now has a backdrop of our exhaustion. So many have told me, for example, that upon getting the vaccination or getting an appointment for one or hearing that their aging parents received it, unexpected tears jumped into their eyes because all of us are suppressing feelings, fear, confusion, anxiety, and trying to keep our eyes on getting through this day or the next. That exhaustion can make this process of focusing on what's positive about your pandemic partner harder to do. But perhaps contradictorily, it's become even more important. So it's helpful sometimes to sit down and say, what are the things that I admire, respect, love about my partner? And what's the part that comes with that that isn't my favorite thing? But you don't get one without the other. And you can remind yourself of that. And you might also do the same thing for yourself. What do they get from me that they respect and they like, but they don't like what comes along with it? It gives you a different perspective. And now there's one more consideration. I'm cautioning you to not overreact because you feel out of sync. Or you are out of sync. Because being out of sync is normal. Everybody's marriage or partnership gets out of sync sometimes, that's my term, when your individual needs don't match up very well, or you're both focused on different struggles, and both of them feel important. Maybe a brother has died for one, but at the same time, a huge job promotion with increased responsibilities occurred for the other. Or a child is struggling with homework and falling grades at the same time that more money is needed for the roof that's leaking or just to buy food. Who's going to give what and when? We need something from our partner that it's tough for them to give at that time. So you can so easily become out of sync, living almost parallel lives in the most severe cases, and not feeling as if the other one understands or maybe even cares about the struggle you're most focused on. And you can feel very alone. During this pandemic, feeling out of sync can easily be fueled by pandemic burnout the cynicism and detachment Dr. Maslach was talking about. Instead of realizing your own part in creating the distance between yourself and your partner, you can begin to detach your emotions from them. You can become harsh or cynical towards them, and it can feel easier to simply not care. The important thing here is to realize that everyone's fuse has become shorter. And if you're feeling alone, more detached, or beginning not to care, then as doctors Julie and John Gottman would recommend and their premier marital researchers, you want to turn toward one another. What this means is literally both physically you turn toward one another, but you talk about as objectively as you can the fact that the two of you don't seem to be working as a team. And the most important part is that you don't attribute malicious intent to that. I'm going to say that again. 
You talk as objectively as you can about the fact that the two of you don't seem to be working as a team and you don't attribute a malicious intent to either one of you. You simply realize we've gotten out of sync. Here's the difference. Believing malicious intent, I might tell myself, he's only focused on his job and doesn't give a damn that I've lost my brother. But if I believe we're just out of sync, I tell myself, he loved my brother as well, and he's using his job to distract himself from his own loss. I know that he does that. You can hear how the second belief would lead you to invite your partner into a discussion with you, while the first would only stoke the fire of loneliness and detachment. That stepping away from believing your partner has malicious intent is so important. Again, we all get out of sync, even when we're trying to do our best job. There will be lots of lessons learned during this pandemic, and some of those will be about you and your partner. Remember, pandemic burnout could be seeping into your reactions to one another, those being exhaustion, cynicism and detachment, and lack of accomplishment. And that part of living through all of this will be that you realize just how strong you can feel together. And when one of you falters, the other one is there for support. Good luck to you. Today's listener email is from a mom who's confused about why her adult kids say she's coming across as needy. Let's hear what she says. So, hi, my name is Lorraine. Um, Interesting reading here. I always thought that I had good communications with my kids, but I was a little upset that it didn't seem to happen in return. I don't say things to them like, oh, how can you never call me? I don't play those games with my kids. I think that's silly. So what I do is is I send them texts maybe a few times a week, sometimes not at all. Sometimes I'll go a couple of weeks without sending a text. It just depends. There might be also a week where I send maybe six or seven. It just depends. But it's always positive things or I'm commenting about something that I need them to know. I don't know. It could be anything to do with family or something in the news. A lot of my texts just simply say, I pray for you every day and um, hope you have a great day. And angels round about you and blessings. You know, I'm here for you 24-7. Talk to you soon. Things like that. I never go on and on about anything that that would be considered drama. And so I'm not quite sure why they say that I'm coming across as needy. So it's very confusing to me. I just thought that since we had a good relationship, it's normal to keep in touch with your adult children. You can hear the hurt and confusion in this woman's voice, certainly. The only thing I heard that she wrote that put up some flags for me was, I'm here for you 24-7. And I wonder at that point if her kids feel like she needs to be needed, that she's struggling to step out of her role as a primary caregiver into more of an adult-adult relationship, and that's what they're wanting. The only words they have for what they're trying to describe is, you're too needy, and they're not doing a great job of explaining it to her. Certainly one piece of advice I'd offer is to ask her children just that. What is it about my behavior that's leading you to believe I'm needy? Just ask them. As I sat and thought about this for a bit longer, I did wonder something else. Maybe it's not really about the actual messages but how her life has gone on without them or not in their eyes. 
It would be the difference between being out on a lake and seeing someone have fun in a boat that's racing by you with people laughing or skiing, having a great time, and they wave at you. Then you go by a boat that has one person in it, and they're all alone, and they're drifting, and they wave at you. The waves are the same. The context can feel very different. Maybe they see her life as drifting instead of being more purpose-driven with a new purpose of her own. There's a great book that a friend of mine wrote. Her name is Melissa Schultz. It's called From Mom to Me Again, and I think it's a great story with lots of suggestions on how to move on. I actually was one of the people she reached out to for the book, and that's how we became great friends. I'll have that book in your show notes along with all the other references for this episode. Thanks so much to all of you for being here on Self Work. I want to read you an Amazon review that I received that I am so tickled by. I actually know who wrote it because he told me he was going to. And this is about perfectly hidden depression. As a psychologist and therapist myself, I'm often underwhelmed with self-help books as they're usually either too vague and fluffy to be helpful or too academic to be accessible. This book strikes the perfect balance of being rigorous and practical, but also inviting and easy to read. The ideas are clearly laid out. The short vignettes and stories are illuminating without being a drag on the pace of the book. And the exercises are extremely practical and well-grounded in science. If you struggle with perfectionism or depression, this book is a must-read. How nice. That's from a young man named Nicholas Wignall, or Nick Wignall, and he has his own uh, podcast, You ought to look him up. I appreciate it, Nick, so much. And to all 181 of you on Amazon that have actually left ratings and reviews, that is so incredibly helpful. And again, thanks to those ratings and reviews, again, on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to Self Work. I not only get information about what you like about it, sometimes what you don't like about it, but I get ideas about where to go with topics from you. You can reach me many ways. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com and feel free to email me. If you go to my website and subscribe, you'll actually receive a weekly newsletter that includes my weekly podcast, weekly blog post, and usually some news about what I'm working on or what I've heard that I think is interesting for you to know. I promise one weekly newsletter. That's it. So maybe you can join me there. I also want to remind you of something I told you about last week. I am starting to do presentations. It can be for a smaller group as a book club or any other group or organization where you're needing to find speakers. I want to talk about constructive and destructive perfectionism, and I think that topic could be helpful for lots of different kinds of groups. You can just email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com if you're interested. You're welcome to join my Facebook closed group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Thank you again for being here. It warms my heart that so many of you have let me know what you get out of self-work. Please take very good care during these times of pandemic fatigue and burnout. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.